Hey guys, welcome back to the Pod of Greed, week 26. Hey guys. Yeah, we're here with a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! news. Big Yu-Gi-Oh! news. Um, or pretty big, I would say. Bigger than last week, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, a lot of stuff that just kind of developed, and I uh, want your opinion on, like you, because we haven't gotten a chance to talk about it. And also, you guys in the comments, because... Um, just very opinionated issues, I think, that have been, like, developing. They're about insane. to hate us. Yeah. Or love us. It all depends. Some people think I hate Yu-Gi-Oh, if you can believe it. Oh, you only like Master Duel, so. Right, yeah, that's the only Yu-Gi-Oh I like. Glad you, glad we got that out of the way. Um, okay, so I think the first big order of business would probably be YCS Indianapolis. Um, oh, yeah, YCS Indy. Yeah, from this past weekend. So this was actually the first event of what most would call the new format, at least in the sense that the first event was like Age of Overlord. It's a new age, you might say. A new age. Um, age of Overlord being legal. And it definitely ran the tables because um, the... Fire Hydrant is your Overlord. Yeah, the Rescue Ace sort of Sinful Spoils hybrid deck um, ended up not only winning the event, that was Steven Santoli. Congratulations to him. He got first place with Sinful Spoils Rescue Ace. And actually, in the finals, it was a mirror match also against, you know, so another, like, Sinful Spoils ace deck. This is, like, the the big new thing on the block. Yeah, uh, it comes as no surprise to people who follow the OCG. You know, mm-hmm. they've been talking about this deck and talking about this deck. But you're never quite sure if, like, things in the OCG are going to translate over to the TCG. Right. It looks like it did this time. Yeah, for sure. It's an interesting deck. I have not really uh, researched a lot of it myself because, you know, I am more of a Master Duel guy than a TCG guy. He plays Rescue Ace Pure. Yeah, I do. I've got stories about that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I know that it's a very, just the Sinful Spoils engine itself is, like, very control-oriented, um, very much kind of a just resource loop-style deck where it's just a lot of kind of repetitious. Very recursive. You know, d- just recursive disruption. And uh, they also offer a way to search for your Fire Hydrant and, Really, like, it just synergizes weirdly well with Rescue Ace, so I think that's kind of a cool hybrid. It's also at a time where Fire and, like, Pyro and stuff are getting more support Oh, they on the come up. So that's kind of neat. Um, technically, the Pyro part's not as relevant for Rescue Ace, but just, like, just, I don't know, because there's, like, the new Fire Xyz monster that, like, searches Pyros. You mean it, it searches barrier statues? Yeah, well, um, there's also, like, the new, there's, like, the Monster Reborn thing that they got in Age of Overlord. They're getting a Rota sort of card in the next set, Phantom Nightmare. And then there's like the Fire King structure. It's just like it's a fiery, it's a fire time. fiery period of time. Um, I know you were doing something with the Diabella Star yourself, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, I want to build the uh, Snake Eyes deck mm-hmm. since uh, it's kind of like the first lore archetype. Of this new story that's going on, and uh, yeah, Bell Star is the star of that show, so of course, I need her and her sinful spoils. But uh, that's gonna cost me some bread, yeah, it's gonna be a little expensive, isn't it? That's uh, that's a big conversation we'll get into in a bit. But, but Paul said you're gonna spot me, so it's all good, yeah, I, I got you, all right. Um, but yeah, so congrats to uh, to him for winning. I think the event had like 1900 some odd players, so that was really cool. Um, I what was I gonna say? So I think that even though like that was a cool, it was cool to sort of see the new metagame developing. Mm-hmm. I think the highlight of the show was definitely Exodia this past weekend. I, I disagree. Okay, I have no idea why people are so intri- like 
like enamored with an FTK deck. We yeah. hate FTKs. It's funny. Uh, so for those of you guys who didn't know, um, Jeffrey Leonard, he's uh, the famed Mystic Mind and now Exodia FTK dad. Um, he did pull off an Exodia FTK as a feature match, and I thought that that was pretty cool. It is a little funny, though. Uh, he's probably, I remember someone I read it called him the only, like, lovable player who plays, like, hateable decks or something like that. Jesus. Yeah, he was playing, like, sort of an Ign- like an Ignite Pendulum Exodia FTK deck. The only way Ignites will ever see play. Yeah, it's interesting, really, just for a number of reasons. So, obviously, it was a really huge moment. I, I went back and I rewatched on stream. People were... I, I, I'm so shocked that he won. Like, it's a miracle that he won for so many reasons. Because, like, first of all, he was playing against, like, Terra Elements. Who can definitely play on your turn. Yeah, who can definitely, like, disrupt you, play on your turn. It's a very difficult deck. So, the fact that he won the dice roll was, a, you know, that's miraculous in and of itself. But it's a 50-50. Yeah, it's like a 50-50. But he won the dice roll and managed to win the first game. Second game was a pretty swift loss, right? You know, side decks kind of tend to be the reason why gimmicky decks just fall out later on in these tournaments. Uh, And then in game three, uh, his opponent actually, like, was able to disrupt him, but then bricked on their turn. And that was so funny. So, uh, yeah, he ended up winning with uh, Exodia FTK, and I think that was awesome. I saw Exodia trending on Twitter, actually. Like, But I want to, like, drive this point home. Mm-hmm. If you're at a YCS and it's the second or third round, maybe it's the fourth round, you're winning out, and you sit down across from an Exodia FTK player, and they FTK you twice, Yeah, you're not going to be happy. Why are we saying, like, why is, like, Jeff the... Why is he the exception? He's got... I mean, it's a nice story. No, it's not. So we got FTK. Yeah. I, so I think the thing is, is that, I mean, like, you know his story, right? Like... Vaguely. It's... I mean, you wrote a short about it. You guys haven't seen it yet, but... Like, but, like, I don't really know, like, him. Like... Like, I, like, his main thing is that, you know, he played Yu-Gi-Oh! Mostly because his son played Yu-Gi-Oh! And so that in and of itself is sort of like a, it's a nice feel good story because he's probably the type of person who would not normally play Yu-Gi-Oh! And uh, he plays kind of by simplifying the game, I guess. So he's a good dad, so I should let him FTK me. Yeah, I know. It is, I mean, there is some irony there. I I think it's one of those things where it's only really nice because like it is that once in a lifetime sort of thing. The moment that this happens like, Again, it's a problem, right? Yes. Like, I think it, it's like FTKs are kind of allowed to happen like once. Like what you like one good fun little FTK and a feature match. But like the moment that if like at the next YCS, a bunch of regular people, and you know the type I'm, you know, it's kind of the average Yu-Gi-Oh player type, where it was all like playing this FTK and like refining it and stuff. Yeah, I think we'd all be like you. Like, screw this. This sucks. Um, I'm just... You know, I, I didn't compete long, but I did compete at one point, and I just getting like getting OTK'd felt bad. So an FTK, oh my gosh! Yeah, Alec is uh, not on the hype train of it. <laughs> I mean, it's like I understand like people like him. It's just FTK. Yeah, it's funny he played Mystic Mind before too. Uh, like, you know how I feel about Mystic Mind. Yeah, I mean. Well, I don't know. How do you feel? Do you, are you a Mystic Mind 
or when it was legal, were you like a Mystic Mind apologist? I or? hated so Mystic you were, Mind. So you were anti-Mystic Mind. I hated it 110%. I couldn't yeah, stand the card. Yeah, he, and so he also popularized... He didn't popularize the deck, but he was very popular for like being the guy playing Mystic Mind. Like, and I think it's like people kind of cheered him on when he won, but it is... They wouldn't do that for anyone else, so... Like... It's such an it's such a unique story. I feel like Yu-Gi-Oh players are just looking for stories to latch on to, something to like, like to like keep them interested during these tournament runs. And like, how is this? How is this deck doing? Like, you know, there does need to be a narrative to these tournaments to keep people engaged. So yeah, I mean, I think it's just because like we're playing. You have to like step back, in my opinion, and like we're playing a game where this game can be miserable at times. Right, like people are. You would think it would be during the FTK. Yeah. Well, it's it's, fun, it's funny, but like this game can be so miserable and also so like tense and cutthroat and like just sweaty and stuff. Where there's so many factors, it's refreshing to see a different strategy find some success. And as it happens, he ended up dropping out of the tournament. Right, like right after that round, he like lost his next like three. And so it's kind of like, yeah, well, you know, pop the balloon. It's but at least there was a moment of like excitement. For players. And mm-hmm. I think that that is a good thing. Like, I, I know that, you know, for the person sitting across from him, it probably would be miserable. But his opponent actually was a really good sport about it. it that's, that seems to be so, a trend with Leonard's opponents. They tend I mean, to, like, lose with a smile. I think you have to, right? Like, if you don't, well, you look <laughs> even worse. So, um, Alec is clearly not a not a big uh Jeff Leonard, or at least not an Exodia right. FTK fan. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing against the guy. I, I, I purely just don't like the cards. I'm a ve- I'm a grubby Yu-Gi-Oh player who doesn't want to change his mind about things. Yeah, so so I guess by your uh, by your sort of estimate, it doesn't really matter who's playing the deck. If the deck is annoying, the deck is mm-hmm. annoying. I can, I can get it. That's you. just my opinion, guys. You can kill me in the comments if you want. I'm not saying anyone else doesn't think that way. It's just how I think. Yeah, so... Um, Congrats to him though for just kind of that really big moment. Like I said, a I wins saw it, a win. I saw it trend on Twitter, which I thought was like really cool because you don't really get to see that. I actually think now that I mention it, Konami's probably really happy that that like happened. I mean, they they knew who, who they were putting up for the feature match, but right. I think for it to play out in the way that it did, where like you know he's playing against a known kind of like villain deck in TR Elements, and he miraculously pulled off the win, and people are chanting and like. You just you get just this very soft, fuzzy, warm feeling as someone got FTK'd. But you know, well, but, but that's kind of hilarious. Tw- it's kind of funny. It's like Tiaraments was such an antagonistic deck, was such the villain of the format kind of deck that we were cheering on an FTK. Yeah, there, there's <laughs> certainly there's some darkness. Um, this is a totally like unrelated thing but um i watch competitive smash and in super smash bros melee that's one of the games i watch i watch ultimate too uh there's this character called the ice climbers and they have a thing called wobbling where like it's an infinite sort of just chain grab that your opponent typically just can't escape after a point like once their percentage is like higher than some whatever and it just literally it it gets them in a grab and keeps them in a grab until they reach like 300 and automatically kills them and mm-hmm. so, like, if you were to do this, like, four times in a match, you would just get an easy win. Some pe- So there's loads of controversy around it, right? Does it take any... It takes no skill, right? Like, this person doesn't deserve to get these wins. It will oftentimes upset top players, like, because they faced an Ice Climbers player and got wobbled, this whole thing. Some places banned it. Right now, it's, like, banned. But, you know, there's been times in the past when it hasn't. All these things. 
And it's funny because people despise wobbling, right? It's kind of the equivalent of like facing an FTK. But you know when they don't despise wobbling? The one right. time they don't is when their local wobbler, the local kind of guy in your area who you hate for wobbling is at like a larger tournament, like a regional, and there's like some invader at your like kind of regional tournament, and they have to face the local wobbling player. Everyone cheers for every single, it's that exact situation where people will, you know, just completely, they hate Mystic Mind. But if a nice guy's playing it, his opponent has to sit and smile. Like, you you know? got to do it for Johannesburg. Don't yeah. let him don't let him show up to our city. Wobble him. Yeah, exactly. It's it's very much that scenario. But um you know, so hey. is Jeff Leonard like the guardian of Yu-Gi-Oh? Like Sure. <laughs> He's the many things. I mean, I think that one thing that is nice about uh him that I remember I watched the interview is he was just like, Yeah, I basically kind of force Yu-Gi-Oh to kind of be played in a way that I can more easily like process. Because he was saying like how his son plays combo decks, so that's why he played Mystic Mind. Because it's like, all right, no combo, right? Like, this is my, this is full combo for me, is activating Mystic Mind. I think that was like a quote. So. You know, as I get older, I feel like I have less and less of a tolerance for, like, reading Yu-Gi-Oh cards and, like, parsing through interactions and figuring out combos and how to stop them. Right. So, in a weird way, I get it. Like. <laughs> Alec came full circle. Like, in a weird way, I get it. I. At, when I was playing competitively, I hated Mystic Mind. Yeah. But when I think about playing competitive Yu-Gi-Oh! today, a part of me is like, I wish I could just drop a mine. Just like, mine, yeah. all right. I don't have to read them anymore. It certainly, it it, it makes you think. Like, it definitely, it makes you think. I mean, like, I, I'm, I am also, to be clear, I did not like Mystic Mind when I, you know, was having to play against it. It's not a really fun card. And I also don't like FTK decks. I don't I really tend to enjoy like weird gimmicks oh, like Sky that. Striker Mine. Yeah. Like, just reminded me. Ugh. But on the other hand, it's like, man, I, I get why the people who did like it mm -hmm. liked it, if that makes sense. So, Do you think Mystic Mind could come back? I mean, I think at this point, it shouldn't because there's just so much public hatred. I think people would just... Konami kind of knows that to do so would be... You'd have a riot on your hands. I mean, people just would not be happy. And, yeah. I mean, with an errata, sure. Add 500 life points every, like, in phase or something to it. Every standby or whatever. And I think suddenly Mystic Mind is a much more fair card. Would it be 500 or you can destroy it? Or it be a mandatory 500? I think mandatory 500. Ooh. Mandatory 500 where if you cannot, like, out it yourself, it will kill you. So there is suddenly a lot more risk. You can play this Mystic Mind now because it has a destruction effect already where, like, if you have more monsters than yeah. the opponent or whatever. Yeah, but, like, I think that you should not be able – it should be, like, a mandatory, like, payment thing or whatever. So it would be an interesting thought, though. What do you guys think about that, actually? Uh, Mystic Mind coming back – To three. With that errata, would that be, like – Would that make it acceptable? Would that allow Alex to play Yu-Gi-Oh! again? I still think it would actually be, like, un unpleasant to face, but uh, – Man, you know. Look, I, I'm gonna go ahead and put it out there right now. If Mystic Mind ever comes back in whatever form, I will play it. I'm tired of reading your cards. So, um, yeah, there's that. Um, okay. Do I have to read my opponent's cards if I play Exodia FTK? Probably not many of them. But you I'm might have to know like what disruptions they have. So, oh, never mind. Yeah. So, what else was I gonna say? So that's basically why CS Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh, what? Were any other decks made? Uh, 
I know uh, what Pirelli were up there. Yeah, somewhere. Pirelli was I think in like third. Um, oh yeah, Triff. So Triff got fourth place. He was playing a um, a Manadium deck. So that was pretty cool. Hmm. Pendulum God guy. Oh, Triff. Okay, got it. Triff. 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 Yeah. Triff. Yeah. He um he got fourth place with Manadium. So that was pretty cool. I like Manadium because Riemhart looks cool. Yeah, so he was playing a pretty... I did not actually like really see too much about like the deck he was using, but I know that he did get fourth, and that's a pretty big deal. Anytime like a kind of content creator manages to really eke out some wins here. I know like Sam's gotten some... Um, like a top or something at like some YCS. That was pretty cool. I'm sure he has. I know MBT is currently trying to you know get one at one of these YCS events as well. So, you know, good luck to him. Hopefully he can... So, Paul, you got to throw your hat in there. Yeah, what, am I going to get one? Go get get one. Never. Maybe I'll get one in Master Duel. Oh, my gosh. YCSs don't happen for Master Duel, dude. Yeah, I mean, they have have like the Duelist Cup. Or Duelist Cup thing, I mean. I've been playing that. That's been fun. But, yeah, I think, I mean, that's pretty much it for YCS Indianapolis. Um, Now, I guess uh, the next sort of relevant thing is that Age of Overlord has been causing a bit of a conversation around card prices. Uh How's your experience with the set been so far? Like set's fine, it, right? One hundred percent. I love this set. Um, I find this set to be fun to open. Uh, there's just so many impactful cars that you could want for your collection or eat, or to to build around. Mm-hmm. Quarter century pull rates are low, so um, or they're or they're higher than like starlights. And I've already pulled two, so that's really swayed my opinion on the set. You know? Yeah, that probably helps. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, I think it's also a very good set. I think it's a pretty exciting set. The first one in, you know, five, six months. The first I still call really it the first big. good set of the year. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, some would say that. I mean, I think that it certainly has some competition. Like, Cyberstorm Axis was definitely a really good one. And Photon Hypernova was also decent. But with Duelist Nexus being as underwhelming as it was for so many people, yeah, I think that Age of Overlord was a nice... Uh, I don't know. Just, it, it's a nice sort of like just a very exciting one. There, there contrast. are weird cards in that set that I just want to play around with and weird cards. Yeah, like uh, I didn't even know these were coming out, but they have these new um shark cards from you know shark from uh Zexel. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't watch Zexel. I don't, I should I don't I, be, I only know shark from like dual links, but for yeah. some reason I care. They just invested somehow, and so they they made these new like armor exes, and you know he had these like armor exes monsters. And they even have a final form, which is like an upgraded version of Silent Honor Dark, which I didn't know I wanted or needed, but, but now so I have to build a deck around it. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I found myself similarly invested in like Galaxy, the Galaxy Eyes. There's a Galaxy Eyes in there? Not, not in the set, but oh. like just in general. And like I didn't watch really enough. Of, I didn't even watch Zexel up to when Kite Tinjo shows up. <laughs> And yet I called myself like, yeah, I really like this Galaxy Eyes thing. And I like this character. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, why am I saying I like this character when like. That, that's how. I, that's how. That's me and Shark. <laughs> yeah. I only saw him as like the jerk at school. I never saw his actual character. Yeah, I think he, he becomes kind of the Joey of sorts. Like sidekick, although like, I think sort of main character in his own right. I don't know. But um, yeah, there's a lot of neat stuff in the set for me. I've been. Uh, I have one copy of the new Vanquish Soul uh, monster that I need. Gonna get two more of that, and I got the new labyrinth uh, monster as well. I think I need to get like one more copy, and I can update both of my decks. But 
Um, the maybe more pressing part about Age of Overlord has been the price. Because this is the first set in a while where we have gotten a uh, like a hundred dollar card in SP Little Knight. Oh, so yeah, didn't pull any yet. Yeah, made a big splash at YCS Indianapolis. Um, very, it's kind of power crept nightmare unicorn. It's something that you can go into with IP Mascarena, or really just go into, but by other means. There's like other ways to make it, and it kind of functions as like a multi disruption card. It's mm-hmm. very just very good all around. Um, typically you only need one copy at least in your extra deck, but some people yeah. are electing to run two. And Whew. while the card, yeah, while the card like started off at like 60, 70 bucks, it quickly got up to like 80. And like, as of time of recording this, like Wednesday night, um, it's like a hundred, 105. So we're kind of at that point again with Yu-Gi-Oh! where there's another hundred dollar like staple, but it's not a three of staple. It's not a three of staple, but that's where wanted comes in. Wanted what? Uh, oh, like, you know, yeah, wanted yeah, hunter yeah. of sinful spoils. I always forget that's the name of it. Yeah, that's their cert spell. It's a quick play spell, which is insane. And like right now, it's at you know fifty, sixty bucks. Um, you know, depending yeah. on where you look. And if you want to run the Diabell Star engine, then you need to have three copies of it in most cases. And if you want to run Snake Eyes. Yeah, like so you want to play yeah, Diabell Star as an engine or the Snake Eyes deck or just whatever. You've got to have this card and yeah, so you know, it plays out of that, it's gonna run you a bit. 150, 180, depending. And um also just Diabell Star herself. He's like twenty five bucks. Um the Horus Secrets. I pulled one of those. Like 30, 35 bucks. And it's a, a bit of a weird conundrum, actually. I had made a video about this uh, before, but I gave it watch time, but I didn't watch it. Yeah, I made a video I about this before, it where it was, uh, it, you know, three months ago, we were kind of begging for this sort of set, like a set that's got value, value, like where you open it and you can pull secrets and stuff that are like worth a lot of money and you can like sell them, make your money back and like be happy. But also there have been some complaints because these a lot of these cards are like the popular new thing and people want them and spending a hundred dollars for an sp little knight is not fun for you know the average Yu-Gi-Oh player so and same goes for a lot of engines and other things and so there's just been a bit of a back and forth around like is it a good thing that like we finally have a valuable set or is it maybe a bad thing because great like Yu-Gi-Oh is expensive again and budget players are priced out again like I feel like that's a kind of unfair kind of a scenario and question you paint here because the answer should be different for like different mm. people and different types of people. Okay, let's hear it. Because I mean, well, I guess what, no, the number one thing I always wonder is like, what's the point of like being upset about the price of something? Just don't. Oh, so you just don't what? Like you mean like just don't? Just don't buy it. If you don't like the price, then. Yeah, so here's the thing about that. But I want to play it. EDO Pro exists. But I want to be able to play it at my local tournament, Alec. Why would you spend a hundred plus dollars to play something at local? Well, no, so you're misunderstanding though. I don't want to have to spend a hundred plus dollars, but I do want to play it. At least that's the perspective oh, of the people who borrow dislike. It. Yeah. So it's a tricky one, and uh, I'm going to say. I'm not sure where I land on the whole thing yet because I do think that it sucks when cards are expensive. 
that's just the truth of it. I think I once upon a time I would have just strongly agreed with you, right? Just if you don't want to do like if you can't afford it, just don't buy it and it'll be fine, right? Yeah. But now that I played stuff like Pokemon a little bit, I'm realizing Yu-Gi-Oh could also just afford to do better. Like why is it that, you know, I can buy Pokemon 151 and be like, oh, I want to build, like, you know, a Blastoise EX deck. That's the one of the decks I wanted to play. And I can just get the low rarity versions of all the cards in the same set. And so even though there's, like, a more valuable copy of, like, Blastoise EX and some of these other cards, I can always just play the cheaper ones. And I think that maybe Yu-Gi-Oh! should experiment with something like that. Is that meta, though? Well, some of the cards, actually, in the Pokemon meta, that is the case. Oh. Like, meta cards are still cheap because you can just get cheap versions of them. Like, you can get, like, the common or the uncommon version. So, with that in mind, I think that it does suck that, I that like, SP Little Knight hasn't just been printed as, like, a super. And then also, it could be a quarter century for a person who wants to, like, bling out. And that's where I think, like, the kind of argument stems from, is that, like, Everybody wants a chance to play with the exciting cards. But how does but how can Konami do that with the way boxes are like They should be different organized. is what people are saying. Like it should be different. So completely change the rarity system and like distribution? Yes, that's what I think people want. Mm. I mean what do you think though? Like it sounds like you don't you think that if it's expensive then just people should like, maybe not. Yeah, my 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 first instinct is that uh you know, you either are in the market for something or you're not. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, the market is defined by if you're willing and able to buy a product. Just because you are willing to buy an SP Little Night, or at least you're willing to play one, but if you're not able to, then you're just not in the market for it. I mean, mm-hmm. isn't that just kind of like jealousy? What do you mean? It's like you want you want to be able to play one, but you, but uh, it's expensive, and that kind of make, makes you angry. Isn't that similar to seeing someone with a nice car? And well, you want to drive a nice car too, but you can't afford that. So do you just get angry about it? Yeah, I think the difference here is that um, these is all like secondary market stuff. So it would be a little different if Konami could say that like, okay, this card's a hundred bucks. So, like, there would definitely be like, okay, I'm just priced out. I just cannot afford what this thing costs. But the thing is, the $100 was sort of decided by this nameless, faceless, just entity of a community. The market. And that's why I think people are so upset about it. So, so it sounds like people are upset at the community. Mm-hmm. So we're mad at ourselves. Yeah, I guess so. That is rare. That is rare. We're usually so mad at Konami. Like Konami well, did. People this, are Konami mad at Konami it. because the, it's like printed as a secret rare. I think people do want the card to be printed at a lower rarity, and so like in that way, they're upset with Konami, and they're just, I guess upset with the community for just kind of allowing it oh, to be the price that it is. So we don't actually have to change the organization of packs. Mm-hmm. This could be fixed if SP Little Knight was just printed as a super. Just something else is a secret now. And but SP is a super, which That's makes it cheap like. and easier to get. Okay, I'm yeah. wrapping my head around it now. Okay, you're wrapping your head. Are you make it sound like it's like a? Com- yeah, I mean it's not a complicated issue. I think. Like I think that this is actually one where that would be the very simple and easy solution, and the one that is the most possible. Like mm-hmm. of all the, because like there's a lot of things people want out of Yu-Gi-Oh that I think are like difficult, mm-hmm. right? 
This is one where I actually don't think it's difficult. Because in the OCG, cards like SP Little Knight oftentimes are actually super rares. And in the TCG, Konami elects to make them secret rares because they know that these will be chase cards and so they can get more sales. I'm not sure how Konami's sales would be affected if something like SP Little Knight was a super rare. So from Konami's perspective, I see why they would want you to like have to chase an SP Little Knight. You know what's kind of funny about that? Hmm. I actually think Konami's sales would be fine if Little Knight was a super. I think so too. I'm inclined to think so. I think a lot of people would would buy I think people would buy more product if Little Knight was a super because they'd want to stockpile them and have like a large amount before like you know and then be able to like sell them when like when it becomes scarce and whatnot. Yeah, I mean I think it would actually be fine if Konami did that too, just because like it would mean that so when it's a secret rare, you know you were saying, okay, there are people who just simply can't afford it. Yeah. And so they you know, you suggested, well, if you can't afford it, then just don't get it. As it happens, that's exactly what they do, is they just don't have one. But they also don't buy any Age of Overlord either. And so now it actually kind of becomes a bit of a lose-lose because it's like, well, people want to play SP Little Knight. They can't afford SP Little Knight. They can't afford to buy, like, a million boxes and search for it. So they just don't have one. It's one of those, like, oh, it's the harsh reality things, but that's still... It doesn't still, have to be the reality. Does, yeah, it doesn't have to be the reality. Okay. In my opinion, like... SP Little Knight being secret means that there are a set of competitive players who will definitely just, they're going to get it, right? They have to have it to compete, so money was never like a question for them. If it's $200, they'll get them still. But also, like for the average budget player, they'll just have to kind of wait for the reprint. And it's okay to wait for the reprint, but like you want to play the exciting cards. And if the exciting cards were more accessible, you'd be willing to buy, I would think, buy the product that they're in. So now my question becomes, what should, since the TCG decides its rarities based off of like impactful cards that will move product, what should secret rares be in this world where we move like meta relevant impactful cards down a tier? So that they're yeah, more easily the pulled. Then what do we make secrets? Because I don't actually... So I, there's two, Well, there's two options. And they could actually even coexist. The first is actually that you make the anime cards be like the secret rares. Anime cards in this case being things like those Zark cards that are in the set. So you're going to make the, my life more difficult. Or the X... Or the uh, powered... What are the powered Xyz monsters? Here's the thing though. It might not make your life difficult because those cards still meta-wise aren't seen as like super relevant. I need this for YCS Indie or YCS, you know, whatever the next one is. Oh, so you know, their prices so wouldn't be as Their high. prices might just be like at most 15 or 20 bucks or something. Oh, that's not still like a lot. I, mean, I don't know if I'm going to pay that so, much. So, um, you know, it would mean that anime cards and like cool new boss monster that like some character in Vrains or something used can be like a secret rare, but it's like the value is kind of more for the collector. It's like, it's a pretty thing. And it's a cool thing to pull, but you, if you're playing competitively, you can still get your SP little Knight or mm-hmm. whatever, or equivalent staple. This could have applied to triple tactics thrust back in like photon hypernova or, you know, access code talker. Right. And I think that would have been like, that would be a pretty decent option. And then the other option is just that SP little Knight is a super and it's a secret. So Has now that ever happened. Uh, not like really anytime recently. Like, obviously, in older sets, we were used to, like, you know, Rare Hunters, Slifer, Slackers, when they yeah. started doing, like, rares and also ulties, mm-hmm. which I think was a genius idea. 
Like, Except I think they gave ulti treatments some random rares. Yeah, there were some random ultis. <laughs> but I'll tell you, though, there were some really nice ones, too. Lightning Vortex, Divine Wrath, like Miracle Fusion. And so it's kind of crazy to think that if Divine, if Divine Wrath, right, like at the time, super strong counter trap, if that was released today or like its equivalent today, it would just be a secret. And it'd be like maybe 80 bucks or 100 bucks and you'd have Woo! to have it and it would suck and there just wouldn't be another way. It's crazy they were so much kinder back then and just would give you a rare copy of like a Divine Wrath. Pot of Greed. You know, yeah, Pot of Greed actually was like printed really, like it was like yeah. a rare. And, so well, you guys saw Rare Hunters and if you haven't, check it out. We each got two. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I feel that it's that sort of situation. I don't know why they don't just kind of do a double printing. Print it as a super and so like average Joe can get it for five bucks or something and then print it as a secret where if you want to kind of flex you can buy your like $40 secret rare copy but the average person doesn't have to have it and I think that would be a really nice solution that's uh, that's actually interesting so I came into this with one like opinion but I do I feel my opinion changing because if Konami like the United States the Western Konami can change the uh, rarities of cards from from the OCG to TCG to what they are, what we have now, yeah. then they should just be able to change them. However, yeah. Now the um, I guess the downside is we're some people. We're two people on a podcast, and there's a lot of people on Twitter who are like arguing about all this stuff too. And none of us really know like what goes on at Konami, right? Like what exactly goes into the decisions to change these rarities. Is it as easy as we think it is to do? It's just like, dragged you know, into a different yeah, folder. Yeah, it's just like dragging <laughs> into a different folder and that's it. Like, I'm sure they've got their reasons and maybe they kind of have done the math and feel that it won't sell better. Like, maybe they have evidence to suggest that that's the case. I don't know. An interesting thing is that we're about to be getting the rarity collection here in just like a couple weeks. And that is a set where all the cards in the set are available in like seven different rarities. Now, it's a bit of a more extreme sort of sample like to test but it will be interesting to see like how will the prices break down for things what are the pull rates going to look like how will people respond to that do we know what's in rarity collection so surprisingly no uh we haven't gotten content creator reveals unless they literally like drop the morning that we're dropping this podcast but yeah we haven't gotten content creator reveals there's not really been much more info on it so Hmm. it might just be one of those like it's a surprise, or we find out like the it's week got, of. Or something. It's got Age of Overlord reprints in it already. That'd be nice. <laughs> I, I feel bad people buying SP. SP that happened. happened, but no. That now happen. the alternative side of the argument from the maybe more competitive crowd, or just the I can afford it crowd, is something closer to maybe what you said, which is just that well, if you want to compete, buy it and like suck it up, and if you can't afford it, then it's not for you, and. <sighs> Well, I don't like that stance, I'm going to give it some credence here and try to be fair. I get what they're saying because sometimes Yu-Gi-Oh can be that game, right? If you are like, you know, you're in the nitty gritty of it and you want to top these regionals, it doesn't matter like whether you like the price or not. If you want to play, you got to get the cards. And, you know, there are maybe some workarounds. You can borrow them if you've got friends who will let you but if it's a new thing like sp it's going to be a st- there's probably not supply. yeah there's probably not too many to be borrowing so but i mean i really think if staying within actual reality where we are now i think we have to play we have to play it by market rules right 
Yeah. If we don't like the price of SP Lunonite, we just we have to just not buy it. Yeah. I know it's it's um impossible to get like everyone in on this like one idea. But, but if that was the case. But like if you if you are a person who doesn't like the price of Little Night and you you're looking at you looked at the Horus package, you didn't like the price of that secret either. And you you, you feel very strongly about the the secondary market and the prices of these cards. Just don't buy them. Take a stand and don't buy them. I, I know mean, it hurts. <clears throat> so the thing is though here's why that kind of doesn't work, I guess. Because the people who dislike the price already aren't buying it. They're just not buying it and also complaining. But the thing is, the people who are buying it are the ones who didn't really care how much it cost. They were going to buy it. Like, they didn't care if it was 60, they were going to buy it. If it was 80, they were going to buy it. There are people who will buy it at 100 because the regional is tomorrow and, like, I got to get it. I think in that way... It just comes down to if this is something that Konami is all right with, which I guess the trends have shown that they are. Like, Konami does not mind that that there is a secondary market for Yu-Gi-Oh! that can be extremely prohibitive. We're staying within reality. I mean, if somebody's willing to buy a Porsche for, like, you know, a quarter of a million dollars, and even though I think they shouldn't so that I can afford one at 20 grand. Yeah. Like... Tough stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's just that's just how it is. So Un- unless the overlords ever see different. I mean, hopefully, like Konami, maybe just I think that they should change it. I'm more for you know I'm team accessibility. Honestly, I've been team accessibility for a very. I, long I've been time. accessibility my whole life. I'm an ally to all your fights and plights. Yeah, I mean, I've I've um I've always sort of said like more cars in the hands of more people is only really a good thing. Like, in the game that we enjoy, I think more people should just be able to play the things they want to play. I don't think that making it prohibitive and restrictive is is a net benefit for anybody, but, like, I guess Konami trying to get more sales. I but, guess, you if, know, I guess the prices nice of chance. boxes have probably gone up, huh? I think they're still about 60, 65, 70 bucks. Oh, I don't, like, they're kind of normal box prices. We'll see if that changes as desperacy changes. Yeah, Maybe I mean, I feel like if, if there's a $100 secret, I mean... I say buy a box and go for it. See if you make yeah, that profit. That's what Konami would want you to, to do. Buy your boxes and spin the gotcha. Anyways, and that's the I mean that's the kind of debate. Uh, where do you guys land on it? I would love to hear. How many little nights did you buy? Yeah, are you um, you know, are you team like tough luck? You guys expensive deal with it, or are you team it should be accessible and like, you know, I should be able to play my little nights for a dollar. I don't know. So, um. You know where we stand. It's um, well, we're sitting. Yeah, um, we know where we sit standing. on this issue. Um, I, I think people should be able to get the cards. Okay, let's see. So, other Yu-Gi-Oh things. I guess the next, the final episode of Deck Flexing is going to be coming out. It's going to be tomorrow. C-Reacts and Rhyme yeah, Style. Yeah, C-Reacts and Rhyme Style are going to be in this one. That's going to be cool. Can, can we talk about it or no? It's not out yet, so okay, I guess we won't no. spoil it too we much. We won't say anything. But that's going to be dropping tomorrow, I guess, on Konami's channel, so check <gasps> but it out. we can talk about episode two. Yeah, if you watch episode <laughs> two, yeah, we can finally kind of share a little bit of insight into that. So, uh, um, I did, so, all right, I saw some people, they left comments about it. How? Um, Like, I mean, it came out last week. Yeah, but the comments are disabled. Like on Twitter and stuff. Oh. Although I really do think Konami should enable comments on yes. the videos. Come that's on, a different turn them on. Story. Just turn them on. Um, turn them on on accident. 
Yeah, but I think um, people did not like maybe some of the edits on like episode two in particular, just because I think they were a little bit more jumpy. And uh, to give you maybe some insight into why that was, uh, well, first watch the episode before you hear this. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, pause this. Yeah, so pause go this, watch it. Watch the episode. Okay, now that you've done that. Um, it was Neos versus, or like heroes, kind of Neos, heroes versus, um, Stardust. And so Rosemi had to use Stardust Dragon and Dopio had to use, um, Dopio. Dopio Dropsythe. That's why, yeah, Dopio Dropsythe had to use, um, had to use heroes. It was a bit of a rough time. Um, it was very, very rough. Yeah, you go ahead. You, you're probably uh, better equipped to. So... It was uh it w- it wasn't like it was only a few days before filming that we actually found out the uh the decks and the deck lists that they were going to use. And we had a very limited amount of time to um well me, since I was going to show Rosemi how to play uh, Stardust. Yeah. I had to figure out how to play Stardust. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's kinda so basically I know like people were saying the, the coaching system and kind of the thing that we did, it was it's all very, like, kind of sh- short notice. Like, we really only got to coach them with these decks with, like, actually 10, 15 minutes. And that works fine for, you know... Well, classic decks. For, like, the classic <laughs> decks thing, right, with Jay Wong and Vicious. But teaching somebody how to, like, play, you know, the modern kind of Stardust deck with, like, a bazillion tuners and a bunch of different, you know, like, Marshall Metal March and all these things and learn these combos, like, within, like, 5, 10 minutes can be pretty difficult. Uh, it's pretty much an effort in futility. Yeah, and it's... So, I think that they kind of got creative with their editing and maybe managed to make it watchable anyway, but yeah. Um, can we talk about behind the scenes or no? Uh, I mean, uh, I'll just say that it was a bit much. Um, and There I, were certainly struggles. Yeah, and I, I'm going to say that I think that's a good segue into our uh, own theme duel that we've been working on that will probably be going up the day that you will listen to this podcast, Thursday. Um, it's a Stardust Dragon versus Red Dragon Archfiend mm-hmm. theme duel that we've been working on. And much like with that episode of Deck Flexing, we have found that modern, anim- like modern, sort of modern Yu-Gi-Oh! support for old school anime decks and stuff like that really does not play nice for, like, doing a back-and-forth anime-themed duel. Uh, Red Eyes does, because Red Eyes doesn't even do it what it wants to do. I mean, actually, no, you have to exclude Dragoon, remember? Oh, yeah, if oh yeah, yeah. if you don't use Dragoon. So, but the thing is, so we've been kind of trying to make the Stardust Dragon versus Red Dragon Archfiend thing where the two of them go back and forth, and, you know, it's like a, a whole thing. But the issue is that if you know anything about like how the modern Stardust boss monsters work, they negate everything. They're huge and they negate everything. And if you know anything about modern red red dragon boss monsters, they They're destroy everything. everything. They're huge, they nuke boards, and they swing. And so it really can be difficult to make a duel sort of seem narratively back and forth. Paul, Paul's being coy. It's impossible. It's actually not possible to make these things yeah. go back and forth in a fair anime-like way. It's just yeah, I spent days and days and days writing this um, this feature match because we sort of scripted the whole thing. Spoiler. Um, I mean, you can tell when you watch the video. We scripted it to kind of make it more back and forth and stuff, but there's so much just suspension of disbelief that you have to kind of carry into it where it's like, 
Why didn't they negate that? Well, because we had to let the other person get some stuff on the field. And that's like excluding the fact that the combos are really, really long. And, you know, it took me like it took me days to like get Stardust combos down. And it yeah. was only like two. Yeah. Shout out to 037 Wolf. By the way, he helped us with the Stardust Dragon combos because we're noobs. We needed the help. But yeah, so it's just, I guess, um, just thinking about the, the deck flexing thing made me realize. Uh, yeah, just right, like anime, Yu Gi Oh! anime decks and like anime duels and stuff are, it, it's tough to kind of make them just good for the screen, you know, good for entertainment. Because the way that, what I realized in working on that duel is the way that Stardust Dragon and the way that Red Dragon Archfiend are meant to be played is against other stuff. Mm-hmm. mercilessly so you're supposed to be able to channel your inner um <clears throat> channel your inner you say or jack by comboing for 10 minutes making you know two or three huge cosmic quasar blazars and just negating everything and like your opponent scoops and then you're happy i'm you say i won. but you know rev it up but really like as far as back and forth dueling goes yeah they're not they're not really there mm-hmm. for that so um, but do watch the last episode of deck flexing. I think that as far as, you know, the time put in by all the different parties, all the different guests and just everybody, the editing team, they did a really great job. It's really good stuff. Um, I think this, this last episode that's going to come out tomorrow is going to be really exciting. I think you guys will like it. I already miss it. Yeah. It's, it's Syriac and rhyme style. So, you know, it's going to be good times. Those two, um, think that's all of the major Yu-Gi-Oh stuff. Right. Nothing for uh, Master Duel? Oh, yeah, okay. So, uh, Master Duel, nothing like big has changed, but you can get my kind of little Master Duel update. It's Paul's Master Duel Corner. I've been playing Rescue Ace on Master Duel. I started playing it last week, and I think I might have mentioned it on the pod last week, but I have really fallen in love with this deck. I've had yeah, a very, I always hear you. You're, just like, you're always like, ooh, yeah, ah, ooh. I've, I've had a very fun time playing this deck. It's... It's uh, it's just my style of deck. It's kind of mid-range control, uh, recursion loop, and it's very interactive. I've really pulled myself out of some tight corners against many different decks. You know, Pirelli, Labyrinth, weird gimmick things. And of course, the kind of elephant in the room right now, Kashtira, which I actually have to admit has become one of my favorite matchups to play against and also like one of my more like comfortable ones. And that's so bizarre because if you ask anyone right now, Master Duel and like about Master Duel, Kashtira is just the menace. Everyone hates playing against it. The deck is obscenely strong and it's really just too good to be allowed. Personally, I've got my ideas of how I think they should hit it, but I'll probably talk about that maybe next week more. But I actually don't find the deck to be like that hard for me to face or even to beat. I've got a good record against Kashtira. If anything, I've had more trouble with like kind of the weird, more, like, unique gimmicky stuff, the Makonko decks mm. and... Uh, so, how should like Master Duel hit Rescue Ace because it's so busted? Oh, no, they're not hitting that. They're but, actually... Okay, that reminds me of another thing. Rescue Ace are getting a... Well, there's a new Fire Link monster. Oh, yeah. It's going to be released in Master Duel in a few days. The Fire Princess. Yeah, it's like this Fire Princess, and it's so weird because it got announced in the OCG a few days ago, and it's a card that's going to be in Phantom Nightmare. Yep. It's like a regular card in Phantom Nightmare. But it's just being added to Master Duel, like, in a few days. Very random. Like, Phantom Nightmare won't even be out for us in the TCG until, like, next January, February, something like that. 
which means that all the other cards in Phantom Nightmare aren't going to be added to Master Duel literally until like who knows when, like next June. So you know, it's weird that one card is just randomly. It is strange. Like, why one card out of everything in like Phantom Nightmare? Why that one? Yeah, don't know. It's, why not a whole archetype? I don't know if it's like something to do. Like maybe it's. Maybe Shueisha had to they pushed it through. We like this one card, and we're gonna make sure it's, she's got fire hands. Yeah, so it's actually one of the things that I can use in uh, Rescue Ace. So I'm kind of excited about that. But um, yeah, what does she do? She lock. I know she locks you into fire monsters, and she special summons one from deck. She can like get one from grave, grave, something like that. It's and like some other effect. I mean, it's just a good little utility link three. Something that's useful to make with you like summon Hita the. Fire Charmer um, Link mm-hmm. Monster and like summon their Ash Blossom and then you can like make this and then get back like a Rescue Ace you know a Rescue Ace or your other fire card so that'll be kind of interesting I just thought that was weird that Master Duel is randomly adding it in so I'll run his Snake Eyes they're all fire yeah so but I guess I won't be able to play it until, until it February comes out. yeah like next year but yeah I think that's pretty much it for Master Duel I've just been enjoying Rescue Ace I for those of you guys who are struggling with Kashdira, I can say I'm in Master 3 rank right now and if I had to offer tips, because somebody asked me for tips. So um, my first big tip against Kashdira would be learn how your deck can deal with Fenrir and learn how your deck can deal with a Rise Heart and like kind of focus on playing around those carefully. That's pretty much it. You know, that, that's going to vary so much from deck to deck. So it's like so, so identify the, the two Kashdira cards. The two most relevant ones. For and then sure. play around them. And just make sure that you don't, like, play into silly things. Don't play into Kashdira Birth, like, with a spell and get your graveyard banished. Um, be be smart about your infinite impermanence. Uh, stuff like that. Those are some really useful cards. I There was something else I was going to say, but... No, nah, no, nah, you got to save the rest of the goo. Yeah, I mean, that, that's... Yeah, that's yeah. That's, that's a gist. Um, I don't think Kashdira is, like, impossible to beat, but I think it is very obscenely strong, and I do hope that they hit it sooner rather than later because I think it probably makes the average person's... Master Duel experience. It has to be there for next world, so. Yeah. I think it makes the average person's Master Duel experience a little bit soured, so I would hope that it goes away. And don't get me wrong, I, I even though I find that it's a comfortable matchup for me, I still don't think it's a fair deck at all. So, uh, it's it's very, it's rough. Okay, I think that's actually all the Yu-Gi-Oh, right? Yeah, I have at nothing. Least the major I got stuff. nothing. Cool, I've got stories. You got stories? I might have. I might have a little something-something. Okay, little, what stories you got? Uh, oh, this thing's dying. Uh, Here we go. So, MTG, Magic the Gathering, mm-hmm. have announced another collaboration. Yeah, they've been announcing them. What do they got? So, this time, it is Marvel. Marvel Comics. Yeah, this was big. So, what I was curious about, because I saw the headline... Um, Everyone was kind of talking about it. How much How much have they said? Like what? So I'll read the okay. press release. Titans of entertainment found in stores worldwide. Magic the Gathering, one of the world's most popular trading card games. And Marvel, one of the world's most prominent character-based entertainment companies, are collaborating to share fan-favorite superheroes, villains, and more through amazing tabletop gameplay. This Universe is Beyond collaboration is coming soon. That's it. Oh, that's all we got. Is yeah, there's there like a, an image. There's a video of like and like in the kit. There's like on the thumbnail. There's a kid holding a Captain America shield that you can see anywhere. Okay. And uh, in the video, there's a kid reading a comic book. But what I can say is this: I watched the video, right? Mm-hmm. 
and you know what I didn't see? Mm-hmm. The MCU. Yeah, so it's those. So this is like Marvel Comics, not MCU. Yeah, this feels much in how the Lord of the Rings collab was literally the books from the Lord of the Rings series. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is going to be the Marvel comic books. So nothing with Disney's MCU that won't be. I I am with that. I think that's probably for the best because as we discussed last week about the MCU, it's a bit of a mess, honestly, Mm -hmm. right now. And uh, I don't think that... I don't think that it's really... It needs guests at its house right now, you could say. Well, Magic wants guests in its house. So I think like with Magic, it probably makes more sense to, to get the comic books... The comic books, I would say, feel for a lot a lot of people more. Uh, and as, as a Marvel comic reader, you can probably maybe attest to this. The comics feel a little bit more like, I don't know if sacred is the word, but it's more like legitimate. Like, just because they're, they're kind of the source material. Right. And if MCU you did is kind of MCU different interpretations. Stuff, it would be, like, it's, 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 it's always weird, right? Mm-hmm. Movie collaborations. We get, we get these movie, like, cinema-based, like, video games. Yeah. Or we'll get um, these, like, movie merchandise and stuff. It always feels a little illegitimate. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, I just I think that, like, the MCU in particular feels like it's actually kind of fluid these days. Where, like, you probably saw that one Kevin Feige interview um, we were talking about the other day. Where he was like, yeah, um, what what is it, the, the Inhumans or whatever? Was oh, that that's when um, when he was defining what was a part of the MCU. What's in like the sacred, sacred timeline time and, what's and what wasn't. And he's like, yeah, Inhumans isn't, for instance. That's because they royally messed up. But it's also kind of like that, that's kind of being said, I guess, like retroactively. Like I suppose internally, maybe that's always been the case. But if you were a fan of it. And you're just finding out now that it isn't I mean, part of the sacred timeline through some like secondhand interview in 2023. Like it's just, it, it feels like. And then like there's like the Daredevil anyone thing. who's watched all of the Inhuman show, they are they they figure. But by, by the time that show is over, you already knew. It was like, uh uh-uh. uh yeah. <laughs> and I mean like, but then there's also like the Daredevil thing where like, oh, we we kind of started writing it, but eh, we kind of scrapped it, so we're gonna figure out something else. And then I know that they'd said like Shield, right? What is Agents, Agents of, Shield, of Shield? Which that's something oh, I don't I really know anything show. about. Yeah, I remember they were saying recently it came out like, oh yeah, that's not like MCU. Yeah, I mean, if you anyone familiar with Agents of Shield, you are you. While we, it was a part of like the MCU originally. By the time it was over, we kind of knew they wrote like, it out. But see, <laughs> and so that's the thing is like, if it, it feels like they're they're not always like sure what kind of is and isn't really like canon in the MCU, and they'll sort of later append it or something and be like. Oh, well, like, it it happened, but, like, it's different. And, you know, so I think it's probably safer, getting back to the topic of, like, the magic collaboration, to just use the comic books. They're they're just more Even though they're even more, like, ephemeral as far as what's canon and what's not. My guess is that they would just go with, like, originals, maybe? Or do you think, (laughs) is that not even, like, a possible thing? I mean, so... Mar- Marvel Comics, like the MCU, is a nightmare. Um, there are many different timelines. There are there are different timelines. There are different worlds, and there are different times. Yeah, if that makes any sense. 
So you can have like an Earth 616 and you can have an Earth like 612. They are considered two different timelines. Each can have its own past, present, and future. So on Earth 616, you can have a you can have Spider-Man meet his future self, uh, older Spider-Man. But that could be on that could be the old Spider-Man of Earth 616. He could also meet his older self from another world, like 621. Who is an older Spider-Man, yeah. but not technically from his timeline. So basically just watching, like, through the Spider-Verse. That's what the movie yeah, was, I mean, basically. that's essentially the idea there. No, yeah, I, I think but, they'll just take the just most popular heroes, I guess. Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man, you know. I think it's very, uh, it's very safe. Um, so, you know, we've seen a few of these universes uh, beyond collabs now. We've seen Lord of the Rings. We've seen Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, Jurassic Park's happening now. You know, so we know Marvel, uh, Marvel. We know how magic operates. They have their colors: mm-hmm. red, blue, white, black, green. And now you just have to find characters or themes that line up with these colors, and then you can mix and match them to create strategies and all that nonsense. So you know what's easy? Red. You can just pick red characters. Yeah. So for maybe maybe I want my red to be Iron Man themed. Maybe my red can be Spider Man. Yeah. Blue. Maybe blue can be Captain America. Blue can be. Yeah, I think they'll play it safe. As yeah, that was what kind of I was thinking. Is just it'll be the really recognizable characters. You know, nothing that's like they, super niche or kind of implies any. I think they'll get into the nicheness with because like they call it the universes. Uh, a universe is beyond kind of set. So I'm assuming it's going to be on the same scale as the uh, Lord of the Rings collaboration. Mm-hmm. And Lord of, the Lord of the Rings set actually went into so many different characters. It was not just main characters in that set. And so I imagine we'll get into some of the more unique characters. We might see characters like Beetle or characters like... Um, uh, well, Shocker's not niche, but he definitely feels niche. Like you might see these more niche characters kind of just pop up on one-off cards because you have to fill out an entire like booster set and then some because you know Marvel has to make a collector's booster, a booster, uh, three or four commander decks. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be a lot of cards. Honestly, I don't know how they're gonna limit it to just that number of cards. Because Marvel's been around for a minute. Yeah, I mean, there's also probably stuff that's off limits. Like, Marvel is like, yeah, you just can't use these characters and stuff. So, they'll probably be pretty, like, strict on who they want in and, like, out. And who's, like, allowed and stuff. I mean, this, I think, I think Marvel's pretty open. There's this, I think there are a few things you can't, um, you don't want to remind people about. I think Hank Pym, you just don't bring back. I don't know who that is. I don't. Ant-Man. The original Ant-Man. Oh, okay. He's uh, he's got a very problematic history in the comics, and I feel oh, like yeah, they, I mean they'll yeah they'll. I feel like you just Marvel's gonna keep it squeaky clean. Push that. Yeah, they'll but keep then, it squeaky clean. Like, but I wonder about like, villains and there's, there's so many I mean, characters. My question is, I wonder if they're gonna like reinterpret it artistically like they did with Lord of the Rings, like you know Black Aragorn. Like, will we be having Black? You know. Oh, so Iron you think Man they might do? Don't don't do that. I see what you're doing. You stop that no, no, right no, no, now. No. I'm, I'm just, like I'm I'm not I'm not trying to like I'm not joking about this. Like, because they did that with Lord of the Rings. Like they reimagined the, Aragorn. So I mean, do do you think that that's something that I feel like Marvel is going to be like? Nah, 
We're not we're not well, letting y'all do that. I think it'll be fine. The comics are kind of um the comics aren't like the MCU. Almost anything can happen in those comics. These characters have had so many iterations and changes and costume changes. Well what I mean though is what would you say like Well sorry, go ahead. Like I think if Magic the Gathering wanted to have their artists create a new look for the characters, but it's still very much based on like the character, like who they are. So we're not going to reimagine Spider-Man as man spider, but his suit's different. Like it's still, it's still a Spider-Man suit, but it has like some like magic flair to it. Like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I could, I could see that. I just think that they probably would probably prefer. Like, Cause I mean, if you think about like the controversy around black Aragorn, they might want to avoid that. And like, Marvel seems like they're just, I, I guess, I might be thinking too much MCU-wise, but, like, I feel like they're just hyper-defensive about, like, portrayal of characters. I mean, so. I'm definitely within the MCU. I think with the comics, uh, they could they could stand to be a little bit more defensive about how they portray those characters in comics. But really, they don't need to do any new designs for Magic the Gathering because these characters have had so many different looks and reimaginings, you can just throw them in. This yeah, well, that's what I mean, is, like, they would not let the artists reimagine them. It'd be like, oh, if you want, like, you know, black, whatever, like, black character this, or Hispanic, I don't know, something, you just, you find the version of it that exists that was that. Exactly. And you use that, but we do not want you maybe to... Like, I don't know, I just don't think they'd be that controlling. Like, whatever, who like, cares? It's just, I think, I think it's more of a whatever. Yeah. Like, I guess, well, see... Maybe, maybe not. I just, I know from, um, I guess without getting like too much in the weeds here, companies are like more defensive of their babies and like then it looks like to fans. Right. So like, I just wouldn't be surprised if there's like an internal document that's like, yeah, no, like you don't. I mean, you know, there's going so. to be things you can or can't do, but I mean, the comics have all, are the comics are different from the MCU and mm-hmm. the way they treat the characters, what they do. Like the, I mean, comics. I think any any Marvel comic fan knows the comics all got worse when the MCU came out because they started trying to turn the comic book characters into their MCU versions, form, yeah. versions and forms, make them look like the characters, make them act like the characters. Okay. Everything got a little bit worse when that happened, and I don't know how much influence the MCU really has on comics. I think the more they have, more influence they have, then the less creative the magic people get to be with these designs but the or the the less they have i think the more creative they get to be so i don't know yeah well anyway cool get your magic marvel packs next year or whenever it is that's in 2024 that means that'll probably come out after the fallout collab and after the assassin's creed collab yeah you can get your play booster Uh, it'll be like the fifth one by then and you know uh yeah, Magic the Gathering is like the Fortnite of card games. I know I've said this before, but come on, man. They keep adding more, 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 more. Like, Well, at any rate, I've got another story. Um, so did you know that Netflix is uh, doing gaming? What do you mean? Yeah, so Netflix is getting into video games. They've been actually trying to make a push into video games. You probably would not normally associate them with that. But um, the company first dabbled in games with interactive titles like Black Mirror, Bandersnatch, and a Carmen Sandiego game. But in 2021, it made a much it made gaming a much bigger priority. Uh, hired a former EA exec in July to lead its gaming efforts, and in November, 
it actually let people play a select of mobile games for free as part of their subscriptions. So um, basically it sounds like they're going to be sort of messing around with different choose-your-own-adventure-style games that you can play like on your Netflix app, I suppose, with your Netflix subscription. And also there will just be different mobile games. Um, they you know want you to kind of view Netflix not just as a way to watch shows or movies, but also a way to play games. Mm. And probably something else they can like lock behind a paywall and like keep you away from Steam or keep you away from Fortnite or whatever. Because like you know you when your when your Netflix subscription costs thirty bucks a month, you can pay like play everything. You just do everything on there. So um, they've made like two Stranger Thing title Stranger Things titles. Um, there's like a few of these games. I don't really recognize what some of this stuff is, but um. Jinx is joining Fortnite ahead of the premiere of Arcane. That was something that happened like last that, year. I was say that Ben happened. Yeah, so there's a, <laughs> I found this article because I thought it was kind of interesting. It's just like all the news about like Netflix's gaming stuff has just kind of been updated and updated and updated. Would you play like games on Netflix? Oh, you don't think it's really the place for you to do that? Well, I have an entire PC and a PlayStation Five. Well, maybe in theory you could play them on your like PS Five. Like it would still be within the Netflix app, maybe. Why would I? Why would I bottleneck my my gaming like that? Well, um, it said they actually tested streaming games to US TVs. This was actually just last week. So, I mean, it's something. I don't really know. I thought it was interesting. No, it is interesting. But I think it, what's more interesting is that um, Netflix is looking for other ways to compete with streaming services outside of just get bringing in more original content or buying more IPs, which is how they traditionally compete with each other. I say traditionally, but the streaming wars have only been going on for a few years. But I think Netflix has realized that they need to find other ways to compete because just buying IPs and making original content is expensive and it's not necessarily like winning the battle. Yeah, I mean, so it's supposed to be like cloud streaming, um, which, you know, like, I know out. Amazon is big into that. That's, I mean, like even like Google, Sony, and Microsoft too, right? have like I think cloud gaming streaming like sort of systems. So I mean, you know, is it something that I would do? No, I don't think so. I'm also not a big gamer, but I guess their idea is maybe that it would influence your decision to buy like a Netflix subscription. Because I mean, like the types of games that Netflix is offering, I don't know what they all are, but it sounds like very mobile gamey, and that sounds like more for like pacifying children. Well, I'm going to read a little bit more. It says, um, it's a, they had did a limited beta test a couple of weeks ago um, with the initial launch in Canada and the UK. They only, there were only two games available to stream, Oxenfree, don't know what that is, and another game titled Malahue's Mining Adventure. So this might be like a kid's game sort of thing. They, they definitely don't sound like. very like AAA. If you have access to the service, you'll need to download Netflix's special controller app for your iPhone or Android device. To play the game on your TV. So you control it with your phone. Yeah, Netflix says the streamed games work on select devices, including Amazon Fire TV devices, Chromecast with Google TV, Roku devices and TVs, and more. Um, on the web, because you can also play it on the web, you'll be able to play the games with a mouse and keyboard. So, I mean... Oh, the company's even planning to release games based on its own hit franchises like Squid Game, Wednesday, Extraction, and Black Mirror. And it Those had are like some Take dark Two. games. It had discussions with Take-Two Entertainment about licensing a game from the Grand Theft Auto series. So, 
like, I mean, I don't, I've, I haven't seen these games, so I, ca- I can't really say much. I can't speak to their quality or anything. Yeah, I would try it out if I was like, if they offered me a, you know, like, hey, join the beta, but I don't have Netflix. So. I mean, I probably wouldn't try it. I'd have to see a AAA title before I even, even begin thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, I guess they won't have that. I, I felt like it was going to be a thing that's probably like family and kids games. Because, like, if you think about maybe the Netflix experience, like, if it's kind of the family entertainment, like, place, mm-hmm. then the kids could play their Paw Patrol, Netflix, like, kind of endorsed Netflix Paw owns Paw Patrol? Don't know. I, oh. just, I just threw an example out. Oh, but, like, you know, Paw Patrol. Or I don't like, know. To be clear, I'm not a Paw Patrol fan. I had a younger brother, and he watched a lot of Paw yeah, Patrol. Yeah, I mean, like, or if it's something like Black Mirror, though, or, like, Squid Game, like, basically, you, you just finished watching, like, binging the series, and now, like, you play the Squid Game game. And, like, the formula kind of works. Man literally just said Squid Game game. Well, that's what, it'll be the Squid Game game, right? <laughs> like, that's what. It's just funny. So, I don't know. I, it's probably not for me, but I thought it was interesting. It isn't something, what's weird is the games you just, that you are part of the beta, those sound, like, kind of, like, kid-friendly and kitty. There's nothing that sounds kid-like about a Squid Game or, or a black uh, or a black mirror game. Those well, maybe it is. I mean, it's just. I guess maybe kitty isn't the best word. I think I should say accessible. Like it's not necessarily for like just a traditional gamer, but it's just like you watch these shows and they're interesting to you. So maybe you'd play a game about them. Like they could do those um like Telltale style games. I think those would work really well for Netflix's pla- platform. Something yeah, you can kind of like, like stay seated because you can click your option that you want. Yeah, go by. I heard like, them. They, they mentioned that they also have experimented with like choose your own adventure, kind of and, you're going I mean, through. They're just the visual novels without the like fun parts. Maybe they will have the fun parts. Whatever those are. Well, Netflix can't offer those, or can it? Um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I thought that was kind of neat. Uh, got another story. Let's see. Oh, this was a, a random Yu-Gi-Oh thing I found. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's actually a new uh, Blue Eyes Toon Dragon glow-in-the-dark Funko Pop. I'll buy it. It's at Hot Topic. Never mind. No, um, no, I'd like to get that uh, glow-in-the-dark Blue Eyes Funko Pop. I honestly forgot about it. I should have mentioned it forever ago. Yeah, no, I'll <laughs> grab that. I've got a story. Um. Nintendo is implementing restrictive new rules for fan tournaments. Now, this has been a really, really big story, actually. Um, fan tournaments? Yeah, so fans who play tournaments of any Nintendo game now have to abide by a set of uh, rules and regulations. And so, they're, so they're regulating all Nintendo all games? All tournaments. Any Nintendo Splatoon, Smash Bros., Mario Kart, whatever else you'd play a tournament of. So, here's the scoop. Nintendo is implementing restrictive new rules for fan tournaments. The company has released a set of strict guidelines for small-scale tournaments involving its games. Um, They're defining the new guidelines as community tournaments. The guidelines set strict rules around the number of competitors allowed, limit how much events can charge for entry, and set detailed restrictions on how in-person events can be run. So, these apply to uh, the EU, North America, and Japan. Um... The rules specify that a community tournament may only include up to 200 participants, or 300 if the tournament is held online. Tournament organizers are not allowed to charge players more than $20 for participation in an event, and any money raised can only be used towards event costs and prizes. 
Spectator tickets can't be priced above $15 and can only be used to raise money for event costs, but not for prize money. There's also a cap on prize money. Individual prizes are limited to $5,000 each, with a total cap of $10,000 per organizer in a 12-month period. Um, the lengthy post also includes a list of guidelines for participants and spectators at community tournaments to be aware of, and an extensive FAQ that contains a few other stipulations Nintendo has for small-scale tournaments. For example, events are prohibited from selling food, beverages, or merchandise if they want to come under the community tournament guidelines, and also cannot pay fees or expenses to any participating players. So people are supposed to starve? Maybe. So yeah, that's the uh, that's the new rules. That if you want to run a Smash Bros. tournament in your basement or whatever, I guess you got to follow the rules, or else but, Nintendo is going to come and take away your TV and your Switch and then kill you. But doesn't? But don't they offer much more for Pokemon TCG pricing? Yeah, but that's uh, that's the Pokemon company. This is Nintendo. But they're this is different. under. Not that's I'm not even gonna get into that. that that's a different. The Pokemon companies like okay. Game Freak and Nintendo and so Nintendo Game is Freak. involved. No, yeah, they're involved. But okay. this is for like people who want to run like Nintendo games, which I do wonder if that includes like if a fan wants to just run like a Pokemon Scarlet and Violet thing. Does that count? Well, wait, yeah, because VGC is with the. Well, they get different rules. Got it. The point is, um, this is mostly affecting Smash Bros. tournaments. Is kind of because that's the with a game that really gets the most regular, you know, tournaments right. and stuff. Smash tournaments are big, and so uh, yeah, I mean, this is it's what it's what you heard. But it only affects Smash tournaments in North America, Europe, and Japan, right? Yeah. So South America's good for now. So we should just move all the tournaments down there. I mean, what do you think of the guidelines? Like the guidelines, like two hundred participants, three hundred of the tournaments held online. Oh, it's weird. Almost every other guideline felt fine it was in the, the ones in between were just like well this feels like which ones so i i commented on the whole like you you can't sell food and beverages yeah that's bizarre it's like so i understand saying like you can't sell merch maybe like i guess they don't want people actually i don't understand yeah. it i'm gonna be honest I don't, but merch i guess like maybe they just like it might be merch that is not associated with like nintendo or not aligned like, with its values Capping how much the organizers can make, like in profit, well, that's weird to me, because yeah, yeah. the people who put on like uh, t- like FGC like tournaments, yeah, a lot of them are spurred by their love of the game. But the only way to get them to make these tournaments as big and, and as impressive as they can is profit. And if you put a hard limit on how much they can make. Then they will put a hard limit on how much they'll invest. Well, I mean, Nintendo doesn't care. But why do they care at all? I think they care about how their game is presented, which is... As, like, one of the hottest FGC communities in the world? Yeah, but I guess it doesn't, like, benefit Nintendo when that happens. Or at least that's how they maybe see it. It's like, Smash Bros. sells, like, a jillion copies. And they don't really, like... All the people who are playing at those tournaments have already, like, they own a copy of Smash Bros. So, I guess, like, for them, it's not any free, like, there's no benefit. So, maybe they're just trying to make sure that it's, like, micromanaged to where, like, everything's, like, Nintendo family-friendly and, like, very brand-aligned and, like, doesn't seem maybe too gambly. Like, maybe there's, like, some gambling laws they're trying to I mean, now, there, there is that, because, um, 
I've always thought that the like, FGC community and their tournaments, you know, players they put in they put in their entry fees, and some of that goes into the pot, and, and that's. Yeah. A bit like gambling, but because of like sports betting in the United States, how that's popped off, I figured, oh, at least in the states, it shouldn't be a problem. Like we, yeah, we I don't know. bet on everything out here. I mean, there maybe there's like a certain amount of money where like if X amount is if, if a person makes more than X amount, then like that means that it's suddenly gambling. I'm not like really like, sure. They could, and, it, and I know the and I know Europe is very very uh, restrictive about such things, and so. That could be reason enough for Nintendo to tighten up on things. But I mean, I feel like the FGC community has done so much positive work for Nintendo as far as Smash goes. Because it's not just a matter of, oh, everyone already bought their copy of the game and it's done. What's done is done. I mean, they're consistently marketing the game over and over and over again. They're bringing in new players. They're keeping... they. I know it like the melee community probably doesn't help all that much. They can't really move new copies of melee, but through very large melee tournaments, people might say, "Well, there's more interest in Smash." Yeah, I, I want to go buy Smash Ultimate now, and yeah, that's kind of what I thought too. I figured Nintendo wouldn't have such like I, I do. I wonder why they want to micromanage it as hard as they do. Like just this very tight, like can be no more than two hundred people. Like why? Like like like, why, like where did they come to that number? Like why is there like a, a if it's strange, like, I guess if a certain, if a million people wanted to play in a Smash Bros. tournament, like, why can't they do it? Like, I get, like, logistically, like, that's on whoever's organizing the tournament. But, I mean, it's like, if 203 people want to play, why can't they all play? Do you think like, maybe they're planning on launching their own tournament series? Laughable, if so. I, I feel like Nintendo's, they've tried to do, like, kind of, that I've seen, like, these nintendo run tournaments and they're always just weird kind of weird rule sets usually online with smash bros because like not i feel like because if they were to have their own circuit their own like their own e-sport then um you would have to put like the clamps down on all these other tournaments because theirs would struggle to grow yeah now you can if you want to organize a larger tournament, you have to apply for a license from Nintendo. So, and un- un- organizations can do that. Commu- like individuals can't. So you have to like be, I guess a you have to you a have company, to get a group, an LLC. I don't know. And then, so you have to go on paper because see these gu- these guidelines are funny. You have to you can you, you have to abide by these guidelines. But I mean, if Nintendo doesn't know, like if they don't find out about your tournament, yeah, you don't have I, to abide by anything. But if you get a license and you sign a piece of paper, a contract, yeah, then they can kind of now know. like they have that grip. I on mean, your the main thing is that at any given tournament, I guess like Nintendo could find out if like a regional tournament has more than two hundred people because it's like streamed on Twitch. So Nintendo's like ninjas that are just hired to sit in front of computers and watch for Smash Bros. Twitch streams, which probably maybe exists as a job. I don't know. They could like find it, and I guess deduce it. But I do feel like who's like who's really enforcing all this? Like, are you gonna enforce like my locals? You know what I mean? Like, like who's like gonna like who's gonna know? On the bright side, there shouldn't be a two hundred plus person locals running around. Yeah, but there might be locals where they charge twenty one dollars for entry, and like, no. does Nintendo like immediately come? You know, bang on the front door and take all our switches away and like unplug no. TVs. Does no other company does this with fighting games, right? Well. I've heard that some other companies have not like one-to-one things like this, but definitely like they'll kind of restrict how um, 
advertising for tournaments that have the features their games can work and mm-hmm. things like that. I know like different companies kind of have their bit that they might have to like tell like Evo, for instance, you can't run these sorts of ads against like the street fighter section of the tournament. There's all kinds of like little specifics. Oh, that's that come a up, interesting so. question. How does this affect Evo? Well, Evo doesn't have smash anymore anyway. So I thought they had it last year. No, no, they haven't had it for a couple years now. Well, maybe, maybe this is why. So, yeah, I mean, I, I know Nintendo's got a reputation for being pretty rough to work with. I, uh, I know, like we, you know, harp on Konami a lot, but Nintendo, they, they, they shut down fan projects, and they're really big on that. They're very anti-piracy, which like is within their right to be, but it's just they don't have a great like rep among no. fans, and it can sometimes feel like as a you can almost be punished for being a fan of Nintendo. So. so. You know, as a former uh, Smash Brothers tournament organizer that you were. Yeah, um, I've organized some Smash Brothers tournaments. How would, because now you don't do it anymore, but how if you were still, yes, how would these have affected well, you? Well, so for some background, yeah, I, I would organize Smash Bros. tournaments um, back when I was in college, and we would just, just take stuff on campus. None of these actual policies would have really affected us, because we did free tournaments, and we never had 200 people. And um, we didn't sell food and drinks. So, I mean, like, I don't... We really didn't, did we? Yeah, so, I mean, like, we gave away, like, free like water and stuff. What about prizing, Paul? What, what about prizing? Uh, well, there, the prizing was always just, like, stuff. Like, it would just be, like, you get a... Was it over $10,000? Like, an NES Classic or something or whatever it was that we were giving away. So, yeah, so, I mean, I guess, like, for, for like, small kind of local things, I don't see this being issues. I think it's probably more of an issue for, like a regional tournament that might actually kind of break the 200 person thing or might want to charge more than $20 for participation. There are, I guess there are some like big weeklies that happen. I wonder if they they might run a file. Yeah. How that What's that go? one channel that I always see upload every single smash. Yeah. Set like VGC like, bootcamp. Yeah. They, they upload, upload everything. The, like locals. They have like smash at Xanadu is what it's called. I don't know. I'm, I'm very curious. I mean, I know that the fallout of this in the smash community has been like a lot of doom and gloom. It might not actually be that bad. It might just be that it not doesn't really affect very much, and it just things kind of go as as they have. Well, if it but, does affect prizing, I'd. But if it affects prizing, I think that'll certainly change things. Smash has had a lot of like back and forth with Nintendo, like the Smash community, and just Nintendo trying to kind of shut tournaments down or stop like hacking attempts, sort of stuff. Like um, even limiting what music can maybe be played on streams. Has any uh, like very prominent members of the VGC community like spoken out about this? VGC community like Pokemon VGC? Yeah, not Pokemon. Um, I said VGC, FGC. My bad. FG- yeah, everybody on Twitter's talking about it. Cause like I feel typically things like this, like for us normal people, this was a blind side, a shock. You know, we didn't know we didn't see this coming. But I feel like, you know, large tournament organizers have been in contact with Nintendo beforehand yeah, they kind of had I mean, a feeling this was coming they probably knew because uh, like large tournaments have gotten a license i guess already would be because i think these community guidelines are like effective immediately but i know that there are large smash bros tournaments like genesis for instance it's like next year um that are still continuing so my understanding is that they must just have a license and so i so say there's the rocking with it so i guess they're gonna rock with it it's gonna be mm-hmm. okay i mean i don't know that's I don't like really, you know, compete in Smash much myself, so I don't think that this is really something that'll affect me. But um, for those of you who do, I hope that Nintendo maybe can. Hopefully, this doesn't. Have, this 
is not as bad as it sounds like it is. That's all I can really say. Uh, so, any other stories? No, that's all I had. That's all you got? Which I guess I technically only had one. But, you know, I tried. Yeah. All right. Well, in that case, I guess it's time to answer some questions from the pot of greed. Yeah. Yeah. Have you refilled the questions? I don't know if you have. There might be a few left in here from last week. Yeah. Alec is the one who's normally in charge of this. So if uh, there aren't that was questions, never directly stated. If there aren't questions, then you guys know. Okay. There are. There, I feel cards. Cool. Okay. Okay. I got, I got one. Hopefully this is a new card, and we just didn't put the old cards back in. No, I try not to do that. Oh gosh, sorry. Hope we aren't hitting the mics too much. Oh, you look worried. No, no. I mean, it's a funny question. Um, so are there still mid-range decks in Yu-Gi-Oh? Hmm. So I guess the assumption here is that in the for this person. There are only combo decks and uh, I guess like stun and like stun control decks, stun, control decks. Call that. Saying that there is isn't mid range. Do you think there's mid range? I would say one hundred percent. There's definitely mid range in Yu Gi Oh, without a doubt. Like, what are some examples? Cash Tira. Okay. Um, Cash Tira, uh, Rescue Ace. Mm-hmm. Um. Feels weird to say, but like Pirelli in it to a to an extent. What's more of yeah, an aggro? I style? mean, I think that I will. I will say I think that um, mid range definitely still exists. I mean, if anything, that's kind of what the Diabell Star thing is. It's just sort of a, a bit of a mid range deck. Like the Snake Eye Diabell Star deck is much more about like sort of resource loop and kind of going back and forth with your opponent. Um, it's very interaction heavy. Some would argue that actually TR Elements was a mid-range deck. It's hard to believe because it was such a strong one, kind of overwhelmingly so. I could never but, define what TR Elements was. Yeah, I think it's... I know there was like I said big, was, it's still around. Yeah, it still played. I mean, I know that uh, there was actually a conversation on, like, kind of Yugi Twitter not super-duper long ago about, like, you know, what defines mid-range and aggro and control in Yu-Gi-Oh! versus other games like magic because the definitions kind of vary some mm-hmm. from game to game. Um, I mean, I think like mid range and Yu-Gi-Oh looks a lot different today because mid range and Yu-Gi-Oh still tends to be on the more aggressive end. Like you still are oftentimes able to finish games out like fast. So you're not, cause working. you have to, yeah. Cause you have to, that's kind of what modern Yu-Gi-Oh demands. You, you win when you get the chance, you strike while the iron's hot. So sometimes a mid-range deck, it can mid-range you for several turns and kind of play a bit of a grind. Or it can, like, win usually in, like, one or two. So that can make it a little bit tricky, but I definitely think it still exists. I would say um, Rescue Ace, that's obviously the deck I've been playing. It's very much what I would call mid-range. Um, but I think there's a lot of them. There's a lot of decks that just that like play interactions. Eldritch. Eldritch is a great mid-range deck. Yeah, well, some people would say, like, Eldritch leans closer to control, but I actually think that Eldritch... Early on was um, was closer to a mid range thing when it was playing more of the one for one traps, mm-hmm. the dogmatica punishments, and those sorts of things, as opposed to maybe just like floodgates. That it plays more like a mid range deck in those cases. Because so. I mean, it wasn't because Eldritch wasn't trying to lock you out the game and win like that. It was actually trying to 
it was forcing you to out its boards, and then it was recurred everything turn after turn. So yeah, so it was definitely, I would say mid range. Uh, so I think mid range does still exist. I think that like, even so, maybe if you want some, some relevant examples beyond Diabell Star, I mean, I think that even like the Unchained deck, like that's been really popping off recently. That's definitely like a a mid range one, I would say. So any deck where I don't have to learn a fifteen step combo. Or uh, run a bunch of floodgates, I call mid-range. All right, so this question is tips for making a trade binder. Take it away, Paul. Well, I don't really know that I have, like, great tips. I don't know that people even trade anymore. Don't make me get your trade binder. Oh, wait, you don't have a trade binder. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, like, do people really trade in Yu-Gi-Oh much these days? I didn't know if they did. Yo, but, but if you do trade, I'm going to trade a lot of bulk cards for, like, Diabell Star and uh, Horus cards. You know, just let me know if you trade, because we got bulk. Yeah, we got bulk. Yeah, I would say, um, hmm, I guess playsets look better than, playsets are good. Go for playsets. Playsets make for a nicer looking trade binder. That's, like, one of the tips I always kind of remember. But wouldn't you have to trade to get the playsets? Yeah, like aim for playsets as you're trading. So like if you have like random one offs, two offs, one offs, two offs, it kind of makes your banner look sloppy. This is going from a strictly aesthetic angle. Yeah, it's like a presentation. Like, this is like presentational, not really, you know. As for like just making a trade binder, I mean well, trading tips, I don't know. You gave me an idea just now. Okay. Because my this one's more functional than presentational. Um you wanna have a good uh mix of higher value cards and lower value cards. I've been, because I, I don't trade in Yu-Gi-Oh, but I've traded in other card games. And if you have a binder filled with only, like, Starlight Rares and other, like, 100-plus, like, rarity cards, you will struggle to find someone to trade with. It's like, you might see someone, that ha- they have a card you want. You show them your binder, and they're like, ah, I, 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 can't, I can't trade for any of this. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, uh, I would say... Just put what you intend to trade in there. Like I know like, sometimes people will put these starlights and like it's not it's not for trade. Okay, then just don't put it in the trade binder. Like and that can go for like small stuff too. Like you just the things in your trade binder should be things that are for trade. That's ideally. True. And in Digimon I have multiple binders. I have I have a I have a flex binder where I just put all the cards I collect, all my shiny cards, all my rare cards, all my alternate arts. It's in that binder, and that binder for the most part is not for trade. Nothing in there is tradable. But then I have like I have two other binders filled with cards. I don't care if I trade them. I have one binder of cards I give away. I'm just like, yo, do you do you want these? You, you want this page? Wow. You want you want all binder. these? Here, take the binder. Yeah, so uh I hope that was helpful. I know it's like it's, it's I guess it's like a difficult question because today it does feel like trading is so out of vogue. But um, <laughs> the modern question would have been, how do I organize my TCG player cart? <laughs> how do I organize my cart <laughs> um, alphabetically? No, yeah, it feels like more times than not, people just buy the things that they need these days. So um, it's kind of unfortunate. I miss trading. I think trade binders were a cool part of Yu-Gi-Oh. I just I don't see them much anymore. Okay, so I thought there were. I thought we didn't have any more left. We didn't. Okay, here you go. Y'all know who to blame. Paul, it's Paul's fault. Oh, okay. This is this is easy. Is it? What's your yes. question? So, uh, what are you building from Age of Overlord? 
Oh, okay, well, that's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I mentioned before I want to build Snake Eyes. Uh, it's a new lore archetype. Uh, I find that the um, the first lore archetype for series tend to be the better supported ones. I feel. Um, you know, Albaz had like Dogmatica, and um, I I I I feel like Snake Eyes have a lot of room to grow from what they do, and I'm building Horus. Because I like, I played Horus in uh, Rare Hunters, and I really like the Black Flame Dragon. And we've seen what they're going to get in Phantom Nightmare, and so I'm excited for that. So despite the prices, I'm going to push through on those. But also I got Burfamet, so I'm adding that to um, uh, Chimera. Yeah. um, I know you're also doing something with the Zark cards. Yeah. I'm putting together a Zark deck. I... I keep putting Pendulum decks together. Um, I had Performer Pals. I had Odd Eyes. I had Draco Slayer. And then I just never play them because I can't stand reading the cards. But I'm doing it again. I'm putting together a Zark deck. And maybe I'll play this one. Hmm. Well, yeah, I'm not actually building anything new in um, Age of Overlord. I'm just adding in the Labyrinth card into my Labyrinth deck and adding in the um, Vanquish Soul cards. There's two of them into my Vanquish Soul deck. Wait, there's two? Yeah, there's a trap and there's a monster. Oh, that's right. That's so right. that's pretty much just getting added into my deck. But other than that, I'm not really... Uh... Yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm like building anything new. I thought that like maybe the Horus deck could be fun, but uh, I don't think I'll... It okay. might not be for me. You trade me your your Diabelle star and I'll trade you my Horus cards. Yeah, that'll be a trade. We can make that happen. Um, I, I, pulled, like, I recently pulled a Diabelle star, so... Um, but yeah, well... My question, I guess the last question of the podcast, suggest a current archetype for a returning player. Oh, uh, this is a person from 2005. So something current. Oh, five? That's GX era. More like kind of goating back. Like GX started in like late 2005, but. um, Yeah, I was was playing. I was playing Ancient Gears. um, so what would we recommend? Hmm. Does it have to be modern? Like current current? Yeah, or? like they want like a modern deck, like a current archetype for a person who's returning and they used to play in 2005. So my understanding would be that they want something that's probably simple or like, that sounds rude to say. Uh, they want something that maybe evokes that time period. I think if you want to evoke that time period like aesthetically... Well, Invasion of Chaos might be, like, kind of something that speaks to you, like, as a thing. So, if you wanted a modern version of that, there are, like, Chaos cards now. Like, Chaos, um, you know, the Chaos Creator, uh, like, that whole, like, Chaos Space, Chaos Zone, those cards. You could maybe play something like that if, like, if it's an aesthetic that you're after. Or there's, like, anime decks, like, kind of character theme decks that have since gotten a lot of support. Like, if you want, like... There's harpies, blue eyes, so and dark. They don't want cars. a good deck. Well, they haven't. They I mean it's not a super specific question. So, uh, if you want something good, well, you play the same thing everyone else is playing right now. That is true. I, I just felt I don't know because if someone's getting back into the game, they actually want to get into it. I don't know if suggesting an already like heavily power crept deck is the answer. What do you mean, like? Because you know, a lot of a lot of our legacy decks, like like supported decks, they're just not they're they not really doing it. Up. They're not 
they're modern in name only at this point. And we're, we're, we're moving into a new format. And so I was trying to think of um, what's something from the last couple formats that felt like it was. Yeah, it would be good for somebody who's accessible. See, a, a year and a half ago, I might have said Sword Soul. Yeah. Uh, I would say that if you want something that kind of feels intuitive to play, anything from deck builder sets tends to be pretty good. So, oh, um, yeah. you know, er, what was the one that was early? Oh, they can play Eldritch. Yeah, well, I was going to say, if you want something from just the last couple of sets, like Vanquish Soul is a really good one. I think it's fun because it sort of feels like an older school deck because you're only really summoning, like, kind of one or two monsters to the field at a time. Because, yeah, they work with what um, you have in hand, right? Yeah, they kind of reveal cards and do different things. And, like, I obviously am a Rescue Ace fan, so I would suggest them. But there's those that would be probably where I would look. There. Stuff like that, so. Yeah, hopefully that helps. Uh, there's just so many Yu-Gi-Oh decks now. It's really quite oh, man. hard. They probably will like some of those recent uh, structure decks we've gotten too. Trap Trick structure is super easy to play. Trap Trick is easy one. to play. We did get, you know, 2005, if you were a fan of Yu-Gi-Oh GX, I mean, we did get the um, like a crystal, the crystal Beast structure last year, a Dark like, World structure. Dark World, like, you know, there yeah, are, op- cool there are options. And, and those tend to be still be on shelves. Like, they just they stick around. So give those a crack. See what you think about them. They they are modern. They're just you know, you know yeah. you're not gonna you're not gonna win a YCS. So, anyways, that's uh, I think that's it for the podcast. Yeah, guys, the, the pod agreed. Thanks for watching the pod agreed. As always, we really appreciate all of your support. Um, if you guys had any thoughts about any of the topics that we discussed this week, definitely feel free to leave them down in the comments. As you guys know, we do read those comments and try to answer and respond. So, um. Yeah, I'd like to hear about it, especially because there are some topics here like, you know, the, the price thing or the Marvel magic thing or, uh, or you know, like there's a few others where it could be a little divisive. Like where, where, where you fall in these, I don't know that there's like right and wrong answers all the time. So the right answer is whatever you put in the comments. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody on YouTube believes that. So anyway, uh, thank you guys for watching and or listening. We'll see you in the next one. Pass turn.